Welcome to Fake News, a fiery but mostly peaceful podcast where we dismantle the media misinformation that floods our news feeds all week long. The media tries to mislead you literally every day. But each episode of this podcast will leave you more equipped to correctly interpret the news and spot their deception quicker than before. This is Luke Taylor, an austere religious scholar, who will be your host in this third and final, I think it's final, I'm pretty sure it's final, yes, this will be the final episode, breaking down the Trump indictments, which I had planned originally to do all in one episode. And yet, as I just got into talking about them, and I, I want to be comprehensive, I want to explain all the details to you. Man, if I just spent like 10 minutes on each one, I wouldn't be doing the intricacies, the nuances of the cases justice. Um, <laughs> justice might be the proper word to use here. There's a lot of injustice going on. But also, if you and you know this, if you've been listening along, um, there's some credible allegations that have been made against Trump that he's going to have a lot to answer for. OK, some of the, all of this is unfair to some degree. Even the classified documents case, it's unfair to the extent that Hillary Clinton did the exact same thing, but really the exact same thing. And she totally got away with it. Uh, the FBI just let her off the hook. And yet, even in that case, that's and that's the strongest of the four indictments. But when Trump does the same thing, the FBI is breaking down the doors of his house. And so there is some unfairness present in all of the indictments. But for Trump to get out of this, um, there's <laughs> he doesn't have a whole lot of hope. And I'm trying to make that clear here because here we are three or four months out from the first primaries taking place. I think they kick off in January of 2024. So guys, you know, we got to, you got to make a decision here. <laughs> we got to, we got to decide, is this the horse that we want to run this race with? If you're a conservative, um, cause I don't, I, if you think he is, please send me your email, let me know. And we'll respond to it here. We'll talk about it. I'll have that dialogue. I'm more than willing to have the dialogue, but, uh, I, I need to hear your reasoning. Why, if we, if we're going to back Trump, through this whole indictment trial process, if our election is just going to turn into a trial watch instead of campaigns and debates, we're going to be watching Trump uh, stand trial and, and probably go to jail or house arrest, realistically. But hey, what I'm saying is, if that what do we what do we want from next year? So we'll talk about all that at the end. But hey, thanks for tuning in. I'm glad you're here. We're going to talk about this fourth and final indictment, and then. Maybe talk about what the what the probable outcome of all this stuff is going to be. Uh, first, I you know I just want to share one thing um, that's been on my mind a little bit lately. I've been watching this series uh, that's it's a very well made series. It's called American Crime Story, and they did a season. Their first season that they came out with a few years back was about the OJ trial, uh, the OJ Simpson trial. And so in the name of the season, it's OJ. Uh, the People versus O.J. Simpson. That's that's what the name of it is. And American Crime Story, you know, every season follows a different crime. And I, I the only one that's really worth watching is that first season. It is so excellently, excellently well done. It's very historically accurate. You know, there's a few things I would quibble with. The, um, <laughs> the, the actor that they got for O.J. Simpson in that show is Cuba Gooding Jr., and I know what they were going for. They wanted to find a likable black guy. You know, they didn't want someone who seemed dangerous because they wanted you to understand why OJ wasn't convicted because he was apparently so likable. Uh, crowds just loved him. People just loved him. So they didn't want to, to find him guilty, you know, and, and yet this is a man who murdered and, you know, stabbed to death two innocent people. 
Um, one was his ex-wife. One was just kind of an innocent bystander. Both got brutally slaughtered in this murder case. And uh, it's very clear and obvious OJ did it. I, I think everyone acknowledges that now. But at the time, there was a lot of uncertainty, um, not, not based on the facts, but based on people's emotional reaction to this case. You know, some people said, oh, well, really, we got to let him off the hook because the, the LAPD has been so, so racist, racist and vicious against black people for so long. You know, they need to have a reckoning and they should let this murderer get away because we really just need to show the LAPD that that we're not going to convict people on the basis of, of what they say anymore. You know, so there was a lot of anger towards the police. There was the idea that this was a beloved celebrity, a beloved athlete. He'd won many awards, been a very successful, had a very successful career, not just in athletics, but also in, even in some Hollywood movies. Um, and so there was a lot of people who they, they wanted to they didn't want to see OJ go to prison. And so and then there's this whole, you know, white and black dynamic. Um, there's a very racial uh, component to this case. So there, th this case had a lot of stuff going on. The celebrity aspect, the racial aspect. Um, and, 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 and these are a lot of elements that we see even carrying forward to today. A lot of people associated with the O.J. Simpson case are still people who are big names in the news media and our political sphere and our celebrity culture today. The Kardashians, Alan Dershowitz, the whole taking something that had nothing to do with race and making it a racial thing to force some kind of racial reckoning, um, the, ra the race riots going on. So, yeah, a lot of stuff about race in this case. In a lot of it, we are still seeing the effects of it right now in our modern times. And I feel like the reason I've been kind of rewatching this American Crime Story season is because I just have this in the back of my head that we're about to get like a sequel to that in the Donald Trump indictments. You know, O.J. Simpson, 30 years ago, this was a very famous man being put on trial for a very brutal crime. And... um this messed with a lot of people's emotions. This heated the passions of a lot of people. Uh, there was, it's surprising that a lot of people just looked at the facts. They looked at, you know, just the brutal facts of what O.J. Simpson did, and they just couldn't believe it was true. They just had to believe that the system was out to get him, that the system was out to bring him down, that there, that, you know, that there was some kind of massive conspiracy to convict O.J. Simpson and that he's really completely innocent and all this stuff. It didn't matter what bad stuff he'd done before. It didn't matter how many, how many times he'd beat his wife. It didn't matter all that stuff. There was still going to be a sizable contingent of the population who was going to rally to him and defend him no matter what. Um, they just were not going to believe for one second that he really did do the things he was accused of. They had to come up with some other explanation. There's some really shocking scenes in the series where uh, Marsha Clark, who's the head prosecutor who tried to, to bring O.J. Simpson down and put him in jail. Uh, Marsha Clark, there, there was some focus group testing on how Marsha Clark was doing as the prosecutor in the case. How convincing was she? And this is a woman who, which is very factual, just kind of laid down the reality of what O.J. Simpson did. But she came across as kind of snooty about it, kind of condescending and of course, she's white. O.J. Simpson's black. She's a prosecutor. He's a black man sitting over there in handcuffs. And you see the realization dawn on the characters' faces that there is a lot of emotional pull to support the black man who looks like he's just being beat down by this oppressive white government system. And so and it was a mostly black jury. Marsha Clark thought she would do good with, with black women. Turns out the opposite was the case. So um, 
you know, you can come into the courtroom, you can have all your facts, all your timeline, all that evidence, very well presented, very well um, documented, and you can put all that out there in front of the jury. But it's these emotional, cultural aspects of, oh, look, it's a it's a black man, a, a black man that we like, and he's over there sitting in handcuffs. And so we want to rally to him and support him. And I bring all that up here in this episode because I just wonder, is that what we're going to get next year? Where this time it's more of the conservative side, looking at our former president, who we heavily supported, who we adored and loved for some of the great things that he did. And he's going to be sitting in a trial. He's going to be going, potentially being put up on the stand, having to answer for alleged crimes. And some of it might look really unfair. Much, much of it might look really unfair. And so are conservatives going to be able to look at the facts on the ground? and make a objective determination about his actions? Or are they going to rally to him because we see this deep state establishment system trying to bring him down as they've done all along? And so um, that's, what, that's what I think we might be in for for the next year. And I think 30, 30 years from now, they might be making a TV show about the trial of Donald Trump. I don't know if they'll call it American Crime Story because there might not be in America anymore. They may not be like, well, what, mommy, daddy, what was, who was this Donald Trump and what was America? <laughs> you know, I don't know. I don't know what they'll call it, but there's probably going to be movies and shows about the events of the next year. that are going to be made decades from now if, if we're still here. <laughs> OK, so anyway, um, that that's kind of why I wanted to bring that up. Um, hey, go check out that show if you haven't seen it before. Maybe you're older than me and you lived through it. So you remember the events of this whole time period clearly. But I, I think this American crime story. Uh, the People versus O.J. Simpson. It, it's definite. It's 10 episodes. It's very much worth watching. Uh, it's so dramatic, you know, but the real life situation was dramatic as well. So um, check that out. Or if you want something a, a little bit, a little bit more um, objective in how it presents that story, there's a documentary that ESPN put out. It's also about 10 hours long, and it's called O.J. versus America. Probably my favorite documentary I've ever seen of all time. You know, you'd think how would some people hate the idea of watching a documentary. They just they loathe the idea of sitting down for an hour and a half and watching just information, you know, be presented. It can be the most boring, grueling thing in the world. This 10 hour documentary on OJ Simpson, you almost can't turn it off. It is it's a it's a very well done. So that's called OJ Made in America. That was put out by ESPN around 2016, 2017. And both of those are really very much worth a watch because they explain so much about celebrity culture, the hit, the the more recent history of racial polarization in America, and um, the and they they're so they're very much uh, helping you understand some of the things we see going on today with Black Lives Matter and how they burned down the country for for six months back in 2020 and how we're seeing the effects of that now and so it's like these cycles keep repeating. In American history, are we ever going to get past it? Well, that might be a discussion for another time. Let's talk about the fourth and final indictment of Donald Trump. And I'll recap the first three at the end of this program as we're closing down later. But the fourth indictment that Donald Trump is facing has to do with his actions after the 2020 election, but specifically in regards to the state of Georgia. So this final indictment, and I was waiting for this one to come out before I even did these episodes about breaking down the indictments, but I was waiting for the Georgia indictment to come down so that all of them were out there before I started talking about them. 
And and I'm just now doing it now because I, there, there was all this emotion about the mugshot and booking Trump and all that. So I wanted that to die down. But uh, a prosecutor named Fannie Willis, who's the prosecutor for Fulton County, Georgia, she has brought about a uh, indictment against Donald Trump saying that he tried to unlawfully overturn the election in Georgia in 2020 by making knowingly false statements about the election there. And that is going to be a key component, this word knowingly. Did he know that the election, did he think that the election was truly stolen from him? And so everything he said was in good faith. Or did he know he was lying the whole time and was trying to deceitfully overturn a legitimate American election? That is what this is going to come down to is what Trump was thinking as he said these things, made these statements. The hinge of this is Trump's notorious call to the Georgia Secretary of State, Brad Raffensperger. He's a Republican. Trump called him in early January of 2021, and he assured Raffen, or I'm sorry, pressured Raffensperger to find, keyword, key quote there, find just enough votes to wipe out Biden's margin of victory. Okay, we're going to read the full quote of what he said to Raffensperger in a little bit. Um, I've covered this issue before on the podcast. The description of this phone call was misreported and greatly exaggerated when when the news about it first broke. As more details came out, it wasn't as bad as it was first made out to be in the news media. So I covered this on the podcast in the past. But is it bad at all? <laughs> it's, it's still not as bad as the left is making it out to be. I'll say that. But is it still bad? Well, let, we'll talk about it. The allegation is that Trump called Georgia's Secretary of State and instructed him to change the final vote tally to show that Trump actually won that state. And so the issue is whether Trump was asking Raffensperger to simply cheat and change some totals, you know, to just commit fraud, basically. Or did Trump truly believe that he had won Georgia and that there was already such extensive voter fraud? All Raffensperger had to do was prove it. And then they could overturn that election in that state. So that's what this comes down to. Was Trump trying to cheat? Or did he actually believe that there was so much voter fraud in the state that the tallies needed to be overturned? Well, I'm going to read from the phone call the quote that Trump made to Raffensperger. Whenever you hear the entire sentence, it seems clear what happened. Okay? Trump says, so look, all I want to do is this. I just want to find 11,780 votes, which is more than we have because we won the state. Okay, let me read that one more time. He said to Raffensperger, so look, all I want to do is this. I just want to find 11,780 votes, which is more than we have because we won the state. Now that phrase right there that he says at the end, because we won the state, that reveals right there the context of this conversation. It reveals what Trump's mindset was, whether he was correct or not, but it reveals what he believed in his head as he talked to Raffensperger. He actually believed he won the state. So this actually kind of puts to bed the notion that he didn't really believe he won Georgia. He was just trying to pressure Raffensperger to commit fraud and just change the totals just so that Trump would win, you know, just to, to put in fake numbers. No, Trump actually believed he won the state. He just wanted Raffensperger to go seek out the voter fraud and prove it. Okay? And here's, the media knows this. This is how you know that the media knows this. Because when they quote from this 
And it's not that hard. It's like one sentence. They could just quote the whole sentence if they wanted to when they reported on this. But the media often does not quote the entire sentence. They will leave out that last clause or whatever right there, that last part where he says, because we won the state. And all they will often do is just put the word find out there. Trump asked Raffensperger to find the votes, but they won't quote the whole sentence because if you read the whole sentence, if you get the full context, it reveals Trump's mindset. It reveals that he truly believed there was extensive voter fraud in Georgia. All that Raffensperger needed to do was just show that. That's what Trump believed. Now, whether that's true or not, that's, that's beside the point because we're talking about what Trump believed. Okay, so what was he trying to do? Was he trying to unlawfully overturn an election? Or was he trying to overturn what he believed was an unlawful election? Okay, so that is a key distinction. And in Trump's mind, he wasn't asking Raffensperger to lie. He wasn't asking Raffensperger to cheat. He was asking Raffensperger to to do the quote-unquote right thing and weed out the voter fraud. Now, in reality, was there that much voter fraud in Georgia? I'm sure there was some. There are some shady things that I cannot explain about the Georgia vote counting. That's I've said before. I would totally believe that it was stolen. I would totally believe that they pulled shenanigans, you know, with the power going out, the votes coming in in the middle of the night. Why did it take so many days to count the votes? Why did they just like leave votes on the table, go home for the day when they could have kept counting? What's up with all that? I, I, that's why I don't trust these election results. The Democrats have ruined, and with Donald Trump's help, from the CARES Act that he signed in 2020, they've ruined elections in this country. I don't know if it can be repaired at this point. You know, there's <laughs> we, we got to have much stricter rules on how to vote in this country. And it really, the, the Republicans let it get away from them. Okay. I would totally believe that there was voter fraud going on, but has it been proven? Has this been demonstrated? I haven't seen the evidence that there was that much fraud in the 2020 election. Okay, it's been two and a half years since then. Trump has not presented the evidence. He's been looking this whole time. He has not presented the evidence. So I think Trump was incorrect. I think he was incorrect about the facts. I do not see the evidence, though. If I'm just speaking legally here, I don't see the evidence that he was lying. Okay, not knowingly lying, just that he was incorrect, that he got bad information from someone. Okay. Probably because he goes on Twitter or True Social or whatever. He, and back then it would have been Twitter. He goes on those platforms. He just repeats whatever he saw that he liked. He just believed that it was true if it backed up what he wanted. And so he would just retweet it. He hired lawyers who would just tell him what he wants to hear. So his lawyers probably were not being honest with him. Because if you, <clears throat> if you, I've read a few books about the Trump presidency. One by Nikki Haley, one by William Barr. But also you see this publicly too. When Trump has someone who's telling him what he doesn't want to hear, something he does not like to hear, he gets rid of them. <laughs> if you're just totally honest with Trump, he doesn't want to hear it. He won't, he'll, he'll push you out. He'll fire you. He'll get rid of you. He'll hire people who tell him what he wants to hear. That is one of, that's a character flaw. That is bad leadership, but that is what he will do. And he hired lawyers who told him the things he wanted to hear. Sidney Powell, Rudy Giuliani, and which those those people are now being brought up on charges as well, because that's also being alleged that they told knowingly told lies about that election. So. Trump has made some big boo boos, but did he actually believe that he won Georgia? 
legally speaking, it looks like there's a lot of evidence there to say, yes, he knowingly thought that he had won. He thought in his head that he had won Georgia. So he didn't realize he was lying. He just had incorrect information. That's a pretty good defense if we're if we're being fair and objective. I don't know if he's going to get a fair trial. I'm not going to promise that. <laughs> it's very possible because Georgia hates Trump so much. It's very possible that this ends up hurting him pretty bad. That you know he gets found guilty and has to go under house arrest or something like that. We'll talk about the consequences in a few minutes. Let me go back to the lawyers for a minute. Many of these lawyers have been indicted right along with Trump. I don't like most of them. Um, some of them I do. I, Jenna Ellis was representing Trump at that time. I've followed Jenna Ellis for years. I truly like Jenna Ellis. You know, I'm like, well, I'm sorry she got caught up, caught up in this. But on the other hand, she jumped on the Trump train, you know, and <laughs> when you buy the ticket with Trump, you take the ride, okay? Now he's hanging her out to dry because she's more warm towards Ron DeSantis than she is toward Trump. So he's hanging her out to dry right now. He's got his people just bad-mouthing her and trying to throw her under the bus. When she was a small cog, and she was a cog, but she was a small cog in this whole election um, election fraud case that Trump was trying to build. So, but but you know what? She was part of that. I I remember, as I said, I followed Jenna Ellis for years. I was disappointed with her actions after the 2020 election. She would go out there and say things that I knew she didn't really believe were true. She was doing it because she was his lawyer. She was representing him. And she had to repeat the stuff that he wanted said. And but I was still disappointed in her because I was like, she's saying a lot of stuff that I know she does not believe this. I've heard her be more objective and even handed in the past. So I'm, you know, I was a bit disappointed with Jenna Ellis. And listen, as I said, you buy the Trump train ticket, you take the ride. And if you work for Trump, it almost always ends in complete disaster. Okay, if you work for Trump and it does, if you come out unscathed, you're just getting out. You're getting out easy. You're one of the lucky ones because working for Trump. Person after person for years, it does irrevocable damage to your reputation. Okay, look, look at what's happened. Mike Pence, Bill Barr, um, Jeff Sessions, you know, all these people that Trump hired and then fired and had big, big public, you know, went out and excoriated them on Twitter. Uh, if you get in bed with Trump, you know, it's usually going to end in disaster. I kind of, I look at Ben Carson. <laughs> it's like he got out of this pretty easy, <laughs> but most people who go to work for Trump did not. So you just have to get pretty, pretty lucky. Eventually, listen, you work for Trump. If you just want to tell the truth, if you want to do the right thing again and again, you're going to come into a head to head conflict with him and he's going to tear you apart and get the whole MAGA base, Republican base to turn against you, label you establishment, label you a rhino, call you a deep state plant, if, or or you stay loyal to Trump and you follow him into oblivion. <laughs> you end up getting charged right along with him and probably going to prison right along with him. I would say any Republican who would want to go work for this man after how after how his presidency turned out, I, I just, you'd have to be out of your mind. That's, I, that's where I'm, I'm getting a little bit not objective. That's my opinion. You'd have to be out of your mind because it is going to permanently damage your reputation that you will probably never recover from it if you go to associate yourself, not just in the eyes of the left, but even in the eyes of the right. If he turns on you, he will ruin your name and run it through the mud. It's happened again and again. So, okay, I'm done ranting. Let's get back to the facts of this case. I think Trump was incorrect. 
I don't see the legal evidence that he was knowingly lying. Okay. So if we're going to start prosecuting people because they claim to have won an election when they actually didn't, then to be fair, we need to go prosecute all these people. You can run the best campaign. You can even become the nominee. And you can have the election stolen from you. How can you win with Russian interference, though? That's, That's a real what thing. I'm scared about no, in 2020. But, but rightly. Because right. I think he's an illegitimate president that didn't really win. So how do you, you know, fight against that in 2020? You are absolutely right. He's an illegitimate president in my mind. Would you be my vice president for candidate? <laughs> Folks, look, I absolutely agree. Trump didn't actually win the election in 2016. He lost the election. And he was put in the office because the Russians interfered. Trump knows he's an illegitimate president. The president-elect, although legally elected, is not legitimate. I don't see this president-elect as a legitimate president. You said you believe that Russia's interference altered the outcome of the election. I do. We have a president who, if in fact it is proven, uh, has been assisted by the Russians and may in fact not be a legitimate president. The one thing that Trump is fearful of uh, when it comes to his being president is that finally we will see how illegitimate his victory actually was. I have an objection. I object to the 15 votes from the state of North Carolina. I object because people are horrified. He's an illegitimate president. Do you believe Trump is illegitimate president? What I believe is that there's no question that the outcome of this election was affected by the Russian interference. But there absolutely is a cloud of illegitimacy. So that legitimacy is in question, yes. So that was a very tainted election. And and in that sense, it's illegitimate. Why do you think the president is going to such great lengths to essentially prove that he beat you? Because he knows he didn't. He knows he's an illegitimate president. So I'm going to assume that you recognize a lot of those voices. Those are all politicians, media figures, people claiming that at these moments when Democrats lost an election, that it was unfair, that it was fraud, that it was cheating. You know, you, you got you to you go after them, too, if we're going to start prosecuting people for making statements about an election, calling it unfair when it was actually fair, calling it uncredible when it was actually a credible election. Okay. Of course, we don't have a fair country. We don't, we have a two-tiered justice system. I acknowledge all that. If Trump was a Democrat and said and did all these things, he'd be told, you know, he'd be sipping margaritas on a beach somewhere, not having to worry about all this trial stuff. What Trump did is no different from these people, but they get out of it because they're Democrats. So again, this is not a fair indictment for Trump, but let's just be practical. Let's be realistic here. What's going to happen? Georgia is not warm toward Trump, and he is at a huge legal risk here because if a jury or however this is decided, if they go, if they go ahead and find him guilty, even if it's unfair, this is a state prosecution. This is not federal. And so that means... Trump is not going to be able to be pardoned by whoever the president is. <laughs> you know, the way I guess the narrative is going among the right is that Trump needs to be elected president so he can pardon himself from these crimes. There, then if, if, even if he's found guilty, he can just pardon himself and get out of it. Uh, or if a different Republican gets elected to office, then that Republican can pardon Trump. So these are the theories going on the right. Uh, but when it comes to the Georgia case, he cannot be pardoned by a president from that. I don't know if there is a pardon power for a state case in Georgia. I don't know if the governor there can pardon him or or what would happen. And if that's the case, good luck getting Brian Kemp to uh, pardon you, Trump, 
whenever you've already tried to destroy his career <laughs> over the past few years. See, when you make enemies of people all the time uh, and then you find yourself needing their help to get out of a sticky situation, they might not be willing to do that for you. So Trump can't pardon himself and he can't he probably won't be pardoned from this if he is found guilty. OK, even if Ron DeSantis or some other Republican were to win the presidency, he will not be able to pardon Trump from this charge. So this one carries a significant risk to Trump's future. There's really no way out on this one unless he can get the jury to, you know, believe about what his mindset was, that he was not knowingly making false statements, that he truly believed he had won Georgia. If they see it that way, they might let him off the hook. And that's probably his best bet on this one. So that's the breakdown of the Georgia indictment. And if you hear all, if you hear that all the indictments demonstrate criminal activity on Trump's part, I would say that is fake news. That's left-wing media. That's their bias. They want to say all these things prove that Trump's a bad dude. But if you hear that all the indictments are baseless and ridiculous, I would say that's also fake news. I'd say the truth, that's conservative fake news. The truth is somewhere in the middle. The truth is that there were some things that Trump, sh all of these, all of these cases, even if Trump didn't do criminal things, like, you know, I said, I don't think he should be held responsible for the people legally responsible. He should not be held legally responsible for those people who charged into the Capitol. That was what the third indictment was about. Well, I don't mean maybe he shouldn't be held legally responsible because he told them to peacefully protest. So it's hard to say he incited a riot. OK, but he was telling them a lot of lies. He was stirring up the crowd with incorrect and false statements. So he bears a moral responsibility there. And so all these indictments could have been avoided if Trump did the right thing. If he didn't sleep with the porn star while his wife was home with their with their new baby. If he had just given back the classified material or not lied about the fact that he had it in the first place to the National Archives. If he had just turned it over, he wouldn't be having the FBI raid his home. If he had just listened to all the people on his side who were telling him, hey, you lost the election in 2020. There is no evidence that we need to overturn it. So you can't go out here and protest this. You need to do the right thing and peacefully transfer power and stop going out here and claiming a bunch of voter fraud that you have no evidence for. You know, if he had done that instead of listening to the lawyers who just told him what he wanted to hear, then these last two indictments never would have come down. So the, the, a lot of this stuff, you know, this is not the stuff that would just happen to, to, to some other Republican. This, this stuff, is, we can't say that this stuff is just happening to Trump because he's a Republican. Most Republicans don't do this kind of stuff. So Trump's done a lot of things to bring this on himself, even if it's not fair that he's being prosecuted for these things because he'd get away with it if he was a Democrat. But yet he still did the things. He brought a lot of this on himself. So I'm just I'm not trying to be I guess I've, I've, I've kind of slipped in some political commentary throughout this thing. I've tried to be fair, though. I'm just trying to tell you the truth. As I see it, Trump is pretty well screwed. And he pretty much screwed himself. Well, especially with regards to this classified document case. And I talked about that two episodes ago, because as I said, this is a part three of a three part series. But especially in that one, he is likely to be found guilty because there's really no defense in the Georgia case here. I would also say. He is likely to be found guilty. I don't think he should be found guilty on this one. I actually do think there's enough leeway that, you know, here's the thing. You want it. It's innocent until proven guilty. I don't think the proof is there 
that Trump is legally guilty in this Georgia case. But he's still likely to be found guilty because it's Georgia. There's a lot of factors against him here. So even if this one, hey, this one, I think it's unfair. I'm, I'm not happy about this one. I'm not happy that they're bringing this lawsuit against him. But facts on the ground, I think he's screwed on this one. So there's a couple cases here I think he's likely to be found guilty. The January 6th one and the Stormy Daniels one, I think they're likely to go his way. So that's that's my prediction on how this would go. But almost certainly the classified documents case, there's just no way out. So you can cry about it. You can shake your fist at the sky about it. You can throw a fit. You can write angry tweets. You can do whatever you want. But these are the facts. They have got it. Okay. Does any of this mean that Republicans should want or should not want Trump as their candidate for 2024? Well, I want to talk about that before we go today. So stick around. I've got through the indictment stuff now. If you just want my opinion, I know, I've, as I said, I sprinkled it in throughout this thing. But if you just want kind of my opinion on what I think we need to do going forward, if we want to save Trump, if we want to fix this mess, I will share that after the break. housekeeping things I want to take care of right here. So something kind of wild happened. Well, just as I was recording this episode, okay, just as I was recording a few moments ago, um, I got a phone call from my boss. So my phone went off here in the middle of me recording. And he was calling to tell me that the, the place where I work, I work for a radio station, and it was on fire. It was literally on fire. I only live about five minutes from there. So I hopped in my vehicle, flew across town, you know, got out there, uh, the fire department had already beat me to it. They were, had already put out the flames. This was kind of an amazing providential story because the, the flames only damaged the outside of the building. The fire did not make it inside. The, the, the fire department was able to put out the fire before it even got outside. But there was one side of our building engulfed in flames. So it, it was pretty, pretty uh, amazing that they got out there in time. Here's why it was so amazing. One of our, uh, one of my coworkers, he had come out, and today is Labor Day. As I'm recording this, it is Labor Day. So no one's even supposed to be out there at the place that I work today. Um, but one of my coworkers, there was something he had to put on one of the work computers. And um, he he came out on Labor Day. He said he could, he could have remoted in from his home. He could have done it from home. And his internet was not working at home. So he had to drive out there and do it. He's just going to go put something on the computer. Right as he is out there, the building, there's a generator on one side of the building that had started the fire. Um, and it, the exhaust, it seems that the exhaust was blowing right on some wood and it ignited the wood and started the fire on the side of the building. He got there right as it was smoking. And so he called 911 and the fire department came out. The fire department was at their relay station less than a mile away. They were out there in about two minutes. By the time they got there, the building was, that side was, was flaming up. And so they put out the flames, uh, saved the saved my workplace. So I tomorrow Tuesday I have somewhere to go back to. <laughs> and uh, anyway, it's just a it's an amazing story of providence right there. Because and I say and I mean when I say that I mean God's providence. Because um, if my coworker Ben, if he had been out there fifteen minutes earlier, he might have done his deal on the computer and totally missed all the smoke and all that. 
If he had come 15 minutes later, it would have been too late. <laughs> the fire would have been in the building. We probably would have lost the entire radio station. So it was uh, amazing. Hey, guys, God is real. <laughs> God takes care of us. And so I just wanted you to know that today. You know what? I actually, I, ha I have on the recording, I have this the moment when my boss col called me and <laughs> told me that the, the station was on fire. And he says, come on out. You want me to come take some pictures um, and document it for our social media and, and history and all that. But um, anyway, I'll play a little bit of that clip for you. Hello? Yes, sir. Uh, get some pictures of what? Oh, my goodness. I'll be out there in a minute. Yeah, I'll, I'll come straight out. So I'm just sharing that little tidbit from my life. <laughs> That's what's happened right here in the middle of recording this episode. And so um, I, I hopefully I can kind of focus now, though, and talk about the rest of the things that I want to talk about today. So um, some closing thoughts. Well, before I get into that, I'll mention again, if you want to send some feedback on today's episode, if you want to argue, if you want to agree, if you want to say whatever you want, have something else to add. Um, fierybutpeaceful at gmail.com. That's my email. So I'd be happy to get whatever you'd like to send me on there. And then um, I'll also mention I have another podcast. It's a Bible study podcast, and it's called Cross References. And I invite you to come check that show out. I, in fact, one of my recent episodes just was just under 2,000 uh, listeners for one episode. I never had that many on one episode before, so that was pretty cool. So, um, hey, come check that podcast out if you'd like to hear, you know, if you just really miss the sound of my voice after I get done with this, um, come check it out. I have a, I have an interview I actually just posted with one of my friends who, again, a story of God's providence and God's miracles in a uh, the, in a town nearby me was hit by a tornado. And so uh, my my friend of mine, my an eye doctor and a guy I used to go to church with, he actually wrote a book, a collection of stories of both miraculous and providential things that happened during the tornado that hit our near hit, hit our town. And so if you'd like to hear that, I invite you to go check out the Cross References podcast or see any of the Bible studies I've got going on over there. Okay. Here's my closing thoughts that I'm going to say as a as a conservative speaking, I assume to conservatives. <laughs> so, what do we want for 2024? That is the question I just want you to think about. What do you want for 2024? Uh, here's why I ask that. Do we want to have a whole election cycle, a whole campaign campaign season about President Biden and his failures on the economy, his egregious Afghanistan withdrawal, whether he was using his position as vice president to enrich himself? Do, do we want to talk about those things? Is that what you think are some of the most pressing issues facing the country? Do you want to talk about Joe Biden's policies? You want to talk about this transgender crap that's been forced down our throats? Do you want to talk about why everything at the store is more expensive? Why gas is going up? Do we want to talk about those things? Do we want to have a, a, a campaign? Do we want to have an election season that's about political issues? Or do you want to have an election all about whether Trump raped E. Jean Carroll? Whether Trump made a campaign finance violation with the Stormy Daniels payoff, whether Trump incited an insurrection at the Capitol, whether Trump mishandled classified information, what Trump meant when he called Brad Raffensperger, 
Is that what you want for a campaign season? I'm just asking, is that which one of those things do you want to talk about? Do you want to talk about Biden? Or do you want to talk about Trump? That's just my honest question. What do you want out of this election? It seems abundantly clear to me that the Democrats have made the calculation that they want to have Trump be the guy that they run against next year. They're going to have to run against some Republican, the most beatable one, according to all the polls, and the one that they beat in 2020, whether you think that election was fair or not. Sorry, but they're in, they're in power. They won. <laughs> they, they got what they wanted. They got their guy put in the presidency, put in the White House, okay? Whether you think it was fair or not, whether you think it, there was cheating or not, they got what they wanted. They beat Trump. He lost to them. Do you want a round two of that? That is who, that's what they want. They want to run against the most beatable Republican they can find. And that Republican is Donald Trump. So that's what they're going for. Their political calculation here is that if they go after Trump with these indictments, with these arrests, the mugshot, all this stuff, that this is going to manipulate Republican voters into rallying around Trump so that he will become the nominee for 2024. Then, as soon as the primary season is over, they're going to swamp him with trials and try to imprison him. I imagine, as I've said a few times, I imagine it'll be end up being a house arrest type of situation. I don't think he's going to be in an orange jumpsuit being led into, into a Georgia prison or something like that. But they're going to do whatever they can to bring him down between the end of the primaries once he's locked in as the Republican nominee and the 2020 election. They're going to try to keep him off the ballot. They have this excuse now of using the 14th Amendment. I think it was something to do with prosecuting people after the Civil War, calling them insurrectionists. They're going to try to use that as an excuse to keep him off the ballot entirely. They might be able to get away with that. Okay, so Trump's best bet, if you care about Trump, his best bet is probably not to run for president next year. His best bet would be to drop out, endorse the second most popular Republican, endorse the second, the number two guy, or any of the others, because I know we all know he hates Ron DeSantis because Ron DeSantis had the, the gall to run against Trump. But if he dropped out, if he endorsed Ron DeSantis, if he unified the party around Ron DeSantis, Ron DeSantis would almost certainly beat Joe Biden next year. And then DeSantis could pardon Trump for the things that a president can pardon him for. That would actually be Trump's best bet. That would be his road to staying out of prison. He's probably not going to do that because of his ego and all that. That would be his best bet. So what do you want? Do you want to see Trump go to prison? Do you want to see him in jail? Do you want to have an election next year that's about the issues? Or do you want to have one that's all about whether Trump should have paid off Stormy Daniels with his campaign funds or with his personal funds? Is that what you want to talk about for a whole year leading up to the November election? That is what Democrats would love. They don't want to talk about Joe Biden in Afghanistan. They don't want to talk about the economy. They just want to... Get everybody afraid of, oh, how dangerous Trump is. Let's talk about how we need to avoid Trump becoming president. And then Joe Biden becomes a two-term guy. So is, is that what you want? 
I mean, that seems like the pathway is pretty clear. Democrats are using these indictments to manipulate Republicans into voting for Trump in the primaries. And then if Trump wins the primaries, they will use these indictments, these trials to keep him from ever getting into the White House. Okay, the fix is in, is what I'm saying. That is not my desire. That's not how I want politics in America to be. I'm trying to, I'm coming in here as the coroner and I'm trying to tell you the body is already dead. Okay, if you all are just going to keep trying to revive him and you just have to push forward with Trump for some reason, I got to tell you, I don't think Republicans even deserve to win if they are that set on Trump. We have a whole slew of great candidates. I would vote for practically not all of them, but practically all the rest. I would vote for him. I'm not a fan of Asa Hutchinson, but we have a whole slew of great candidates running for president right now. Why go with the one who's most likely to lose? What do you want out of next year? That's the thought I want to leave you with. Okay, don't come and tell me that the Democrats are just trying to do these indictments just because they want to destroy Trump, just because they're trying to take him off the board. No, they want him on the board. They want him running next year. (laughs) Dana Perino was talking to Jim Messina. Dana Perino is a Fox News host. And she was talking to Jim Messina on her show. He's a former Obama campaign manager. She asks him, do you think Democrats are in a good position going into 2024? Messina replied, I think we are, especially if it's against Donald Trump. Absolutely. Okay. Democrats have set the trap. Republicans, they're just waltzing right into it. They are gallivanting right into it. They are doing exactly right now, according to the polls, they're doing exactly what the Democrats want them to do. They are going hyperspace into this trap. Guys, it's all a manipulation, okay? If you look at the dates of the primaries for next year, okay, their primaries are all through January, February, March, all through that, there are going to be trials happening just before those those primaries happen, okay? Donald Trump's, one of his trials begins on March 4th of 2024. That is the day before Super Tuesday. That is the day before Alabama, Alaska, Arkansas, California, Colorado, Maine, Massachusetts, Minnesota, North Carolina, Oklahoma, Tennessee, Texas, Utah, Vermont, Virginia, all those states have primaries and caucuses on March 5th, 2024. So they set the date for one of Trump's trials for March 4th of 2024. Guys, that's not a coincidence. This is all a manipulation by the left. This is all planned out. They have a plan. The worst thing that we can do is just go right along with their plan. (laughs) We have months right now. We can course correct. We can pick someone else. And that is even in Donald Trump's best interest is to pick someone else to run next year, okay? Townhall.com had this great column. It's by Scott Moorfield. He said this, I greatly appreciate everything Donald Trump has done for our cause, but putting this guy out there as our nominee isn't just insane. It's political suicide. Too much is at stake. Everything is at stake. To use a sports analogy, if a team's quarterback gets sacked by the opposing team and breaks his leg, even if the sack was against the rules, You don't keep trotting that quarterback onto the field to get punished again and again. You put someone else in there and try to win the game because winning is all that matters. By continuing to support Trump, you're playing right into their hands. If the stakes weren't weren't so high, 
it wouldn't be a big deal, but they are, and it is. And I promise, if we continue down this path, the hellish train wreck at the end will be something that none of us want to experience. So, that is the choice that Republicans have right now, okay? <laughs> what do you want the election next year to be about? If you want it to be about, if you want, if what you want most out of 2024 is to save Trump from this political persecution, if that is what you want, I'd say the solution is still the same thing. Don't make him the nominee. Put somebody in who can win and pardon him. Okay, and still, even then, Trump's got to deal with the Georgia thing on his own. That's not something a president can even get him out of. So he's still got to deal with that. All right. Joe Biden's going to raise money. He's going to buy campaign ads. Donald Trump's going to raise money. He's going to buy, he's going to pay his lawyers to try to keep him out of prison. He's not even probably going to be campaigning next year. Do you want to see a debate next year? Do you want to see the, the tradition of having the presidential candidates go up and debate each other three times? Don't you think that's good for American democracy? That's not going to happen if Trump's sitting in jail. Biden, you want to see you want to see a Republican get up on that stage and slap Joe Biden around? That's not going to happen if the if the nominee is Trump. If you want to have a real election next year about issues, about saving the country, and if you want to save Trump, pick someone else, okay? Trump is not worth destroying another election cycle and even potentially destroying our entire country just to try and save. He has, made, he has made his bed. He needs to sleep with it. He needs to face the consequences of the bridges he's burned, of the crimes that he has committed, and he's got to deal with that on his own and not pull the rest of the Republican Party and the country down with him. I know that might be hard for some of you to hear. Some of us like Trump. I appreciate a lot of the stuff he did. I think I've made that clear. He did a lot of great things for America for three years. It all really went to crap in that fourth year that that he was president. But he had three really great years. I acknowledge that. I appreciate his Supreme Court justices. Okay? He was, I'd say God used him. Not saying he was a good man, but God used him. But he's also got his flaws that we need to be honest about. And that he needs to, <laughs> that he needs to deal with. The reason he's not president today is because of the choices that he made in 2020. He had a disastrous year, a disastrous campaign, disastrous policies as president. And that brought about his loss. It was not because Joe Biden is this great skilled politician. We all know he was campaigning from the basement, all that stuff. Trump lost because of Trump. And if he loses next year, it's going to be because of Trump. I know this stuff is not easy to hear. Let me use an analogy. My closing thought today. I, in my other podcast that I mentioned, the Bible study podcast, been talking about Judah and Samaria. They are the northern and southern kingdoms of Israel. And uh, I won't go into the whole thing, but the, Judah was the southern kingdom. They were a little bit, they had better kings. Um, Samaria was more just constantly evil. God destroyed Samaria. And Judah always just thought she was better. She said, oh, at least I'm not as bad as the northern kingdom. At least I'm not as bad as Sodom and Gomorrah. But because she was always just comparing herself to that northern kingdom, Judah was never able to come to grips with her own issues. And so she had a little bit of a wake-up call where God, through Ezekiel, just kept hammering this point home to them. 
that, you know, you think you're so much better than Samaria because of this or that, you're really just as bad. And I say this because that's what I fear we do as Republicans. Because the Democrats, we always look at them, we always, well, they're worse. They're the more evil. And I mean, I agree with that. They, I believe that they are. But then we never stop and realize how far we have fallen from where we were even 10 years ago. Okay, the left couldn't accept the 2016 election. They whined about it for years. They whined about how the election was stolen from them. We made fun of Hillary Clinton for it. We made fun of Stacey Abrams for it. She never conceded her race. We mocked that for years. And now look at us. That is exactly what we are doing. The left's presidential candidate in 2016 was under FBI investigation for the misuse of classified materials. Now, our presidential candidate, if we keep going for Trump, now we have one who's under FBI investigation for the misuse of classified materials. Okay? The candidate on the left that year engaged in a criminal cover-up by trying to destroy evidence. Now our candidate has engaged in a criminal cover-up by trying to destroy evidence. See, Trump has this way, it's an unfortunate habit that he has, of fulfilling everybody's expectations about him. The Republicans in 2016, they said he was going to make America great again. And then as I said, he had three great years. He had a sailing economy. He had fantastic foreign policy. For three years, he looked like a great president. And when the Supreme Court justices that he appointed, when they overturned Roe versus Wade, those Republicans who voted for him in 2016, they were vindicated. But remember, the left presented Trump as this criminal guy, didn't care about the law. He was a threat to our democracy, as they kept saying. And then when Trump refused to concede in the 2020 election and caused a riot at the Capitol, then he went and vindicated all those Democrats for what they said about him. And then you have the Republicans like me. The In 2016, I would have called myself a never-Trumper. I didn't vote for him back then. I did in 2020. I did not in 2016 because I was afraid Trump was going to destroy the Republican Party. And that by doing so, he would destroy America's hope of remaining a free country. And just look at what's happened ever since 2016. We lost in the midterms of 2018. We lost the election of 2020. We lost in the midterms of 2022. Trump has divided this party to the point where a bunch of other Republicans say they're never going to vote for Trump. And then you have another group of Republicans who say they're never going to vote for anybody but Trump. And so if it looks right now like whether Trump is the nominee or whether he's not the nominee next year, the party might be so split and divided (laughs) that no one's going to turn out to vote for whoever it is. And if that's what happens, if he screws us out of winning 2024 as well, the never Trumpers are going to be vindicated as well. Trump has this unfortunate habit of fulfilling everybody's expectations about him. And I, again, I know he had some great years. I love those first three years of his presidency. That was a roller coaster, but like the only, it was only going up, right? It all, it all came crashing down in that last year. He had three great years, but did he do what he said he would do? He ran on building the wall. He ran on draining the swamp. He ran on putting Hillary Clinton in jail. That was what we heard about all through that election season. Build the wall, drain the swamp, lock her up. But he didn't build the wall. The swamp is draining him. And now they're trying to lock 
him up. And you might feel sorry for him because his prosecutions are unfair. And for the most part, I agree that they're unfair. But making him the presidential nominee for next year, that does nothing to save him from this unfair situation. His best bet to stay out of prison is to help a more winnable Republican get into a position to beat Joe Biden so that he can then pardon Trump. And I'm just asking my fellow conservatives, once again, do what's best for America and also what's best for Trump. Support someone who can win in next year's primary nomination. Hey, thanks for listening to Fake News, a fiery but mostly peaceful podcast. This has been Luke Taylor reminding you, if you hear that God's providence is not real, that's just fake news. Okay.